I would tell you where not to sit, who not to sit by, I promise you I would not have let you sit by Dusty if I didn't know that's where you were going to sit. That's my bad. I've never been nervous about somebody coming over that rail during communion, but if anybody would do it, I saw it in Heston's eyes. I know he was considering it. It was making me nervous, but it's all good. I love Heston, but you never know with that boy. You never know. <laughs> oh, man, we are finishing this series today. We've been here for quite some time, and we're looking at John 18 and chapter 8, so you'll need a finger in both of those places. We'll start in 18. We'll move to the middle of the middle of the sermon. We'll be in chapter 8, and towards the end, we'll come back to chapter 18 again. Um, so we're finishing up this sermon today. Uh, there's, a, there's a thing that, that people like to say now, especially in the sports world, when somebody's really good, when they're, like, when they're the guy, okay? We used to say he's the, he's the dude. That, that, guy, that guy's the dude. But now they like to say, I'm him. Like, if it's the guy, if he's the good, if he's the one, it's like, yeah, I'm him, or he's him. And, uh, and, it, and it makes sense. It, it fits. Um, but I'll be honest with you, it, it makes me cringe a little bit, just because of how close it is to what we're talking about today. Now, I'm not saying that from a judgment standpoint, but uh, Jesus is really him. That's what I want you to know. <laughs> Today, we're going to look at how Jesus made it very clear that he's the dude. He's him. He is the one that we need to be looking at. And uh, we're finishing up this series, like I said, today. We spent quite a bit of time here. And I'll review real quickly after we read these verses. And then we'll finish up this series today with Jesus unequivocally stating who he is uh, in these verses today. So if you'll join me there, chapter 18, starting in verse 1, reading through chapter 9, says, After Jesus had said these things, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, because Jesus often met there with his disciples. Excuse me. So Judas took a company of soldiers and some temple police from the chief priests and the Pharisees and came there with the lanterns, with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, went out and said to them, Who is it you're looking for? Jesus the Nazarene, they answered. I am he, Jesus told them. Judas, who betrayed him, was also standing with them. When he told them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Verse 7, then he asked them again, who is it you're looking for? Jesus the Nazarene, they said. I told you, I am he, Jesus replied. So if you're looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the words he had said. I have not lost one of those you have given me. Father, I pray that your word, as it is proclaimed and preached, Lord, today, that you would, that you would do what only you can do, that you would use your word to draw uh, the, the lost to you, Lord, and to revive the saved that know you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in us and through us today, that it work in me and through me, that you would be speaking and that I would be the vessel as we dig into your word today. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, we've been here, this is eight, the eighth week. Uh, we've looked at seven things that Jesus said about himself in the gospel of John, that John gave us this great gospel. And these seven things are, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, the gate of the sheepfold, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, and the true vine. Just a quick recap on those things. When he says, I am the bread of life, Jesus is saying, he alone can sustain us. Who are, who are but starving beggars looking for food. When he says, I am the light of the world, 
he is saying Jesus is the original and eternal source of light in the universe for us who are spiritually blind by birth, who are in darkness because of sin. The third thing, I am the gate of the sheepfold. Jesus is the only door to life for us who are lost outside of God's will. The fourth statement, I am the good shepherd. Jesus knows and cares for us who are orphaned, wandering sheep without a shepherd. Uh, the fifth statement Jesus made in the Gospel of John, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the key to escaping spiritual death for us who are hopelessly doomed to death because of our sin. Number six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the access accessible path to, excuse me, the accessible path, the illuminating truth, and the giver of life for us who are lost, ignorant, and dead without him. And the seventh statement, the final statement, as far as having a predicate on it, an ending, I am the true vine. Jesus is the source of eternal life for us who are dead and useless branches apart from him. Again, seven statements, Jesus describing who he is. These are statements of Jesus describing who he is, who God is. I am these things. Jesus explaining who he is. Okay, but now, as we dig into today, we'll look at some things, a couple things in the Old Testament to, to kind of bring out what Jesus is talking about, and we'll come back to chapter 18 at the end today. So the first thing is Isaiah 41. This is Isaiah 41, verse 4. You could pick out a lot of Isaiah. It says this type of statement often in Isaiah, but this one explains it pretty well for us, what we're looking at today. In Isaiah 41, verse 4, it says... This is God speaking. Who has performed and done this? Calling the generations from the beginning. This is in a big, long statement by God through the prophet Isaiah in this part. And he's explaining who he is and what he's done. Who's called the generations from the beginning? I, Yahweh, am the first and with the last. I am he. This is God speaking through Isaiah saying, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. I'm the dude. I'm the one. I am he. Now, <clears throat> there's two things that are stated here in this verse. One is the word Yahweh, okay? Yahweh. That, that is the, uh, the name of God, okay? If God is, like, I'm, I'm the pastor, but my name is Daniel. God is the title, right? But Yahweh is his name. And, we, and many of you know, if you go back to Exodus 3.14, that's when he first said, I am who I am. That's what this word means. I am who I am. I am the eternal one. I am the everlasting God. That's what, it, that's what his name means. It means to have no beginning and to have no end, to which our brains go, I don't understand that, but I trust that. He's eternal is what God is saying, his personal name. If you look at that in the original language of the Hebrew, it's two words. We, when we transliterated it to be able to say in English, it's anahu, okay? Anahu, I am he. I am he is the word there in the Hebrew. Now, the Old Testament was translated into, into Greek, but we believe that the original language of the New Testament was Greek. Okay, So when you look uh, at, at the Old Testament, these same words, this same verse, this same spot, this is how it says it in the Greek, ego iemi. Now, all the statements we've looked at already are ego iemi whatever. I am the bread of life. All those statements are ego iemi, I am. Okay, I am he. That's the way you say it in the Greek. Again, what are we saying? God is saying that he is the eternal one. There's only one eternal being, and that is God. 
We believe he is expressed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are one in essence. They are one God, eternal. What does eternal mean? There's no beginning. There's no end. Continuing without interruption, perpetual, continual, seemingly endless, interminable. There is no term put on it. God is eternal. That's one of the most holy aspects of God's holiness. Holy means to be set apart, to be different. God is the only one that is 100% truly holy because he is the only one that is eternal. Now, he gives us that gift, thankfully, but he is the eternal one. So when, when that name is invoked, it's invoking a lot. To say, I am, and to say it as your name is to 100% say that you are God. You're saying, I am God, when you say that. And we've talked about that throughout this uh, series a little bit, how that's what Jesus is saying. But today, it's a little different the way he gets to this point when he talks about that. So let's go to chapter 8, where Jesus kind of explains this um, through some conversations with some folks. Backing up to chapter 8, <clears throat> right in the middle of the seven sayings, honestly, is where this is. So chapter 8, starting in verse 21, here's what Jesus said. He said some stuff about I am. Then he said to them again, I'm going away. You will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said again, he won't kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. You are from below, he told them. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I told you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, ego iemi, you will die in your sins. What causes you to die in your sins? Not believing that Jesus is the great I am. Not believing that Jesus is ego iemi. Not believing that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And he states it as plainly right here as he can. As a sinner, you will die in your sins because the wages of sin is death unless you believe that I am God. Now, Jesus did a lot of things to prove that he was God. He did a lot of things because he is God that is of great benefit for us. But it ultimately comes down to, do you believe Jesus is the one and only God, the great I am, the eternal God, all the things that he's explained in different ways. So this right here, he's saying this in the present. This is the present I am. That statement Jesus just made, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's in the present, okay? Keep that in mind. Go down just a little further in chapter 8, moving forward. Verse 25, who are you? They questioned. Who are you? He just said, if you don't believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. So that's like, whoa, who are you? What are you exactly saying? Who are you, they question. Precisely what I've been telling you from the very beginning, Jesus told them. I have many things to say and to judge you about, but the one who sent me is true. And what I have heard from him, these things I tell the world. They did not know he was speaking to them about the Father. I love how John puts those little nuggets in there so that we understand us slow people that, that can't keep up with all this. They did not know he was speaking about the Father. Jesus is talking about God the Father here. If you've ever wondered, like, 
is like, is the Trinity real? Like, if you just read the Gospel of John, like, he explains it pretty well, I feel like. Continuing, verse 28. So Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. Then you will know that Ego Iemi. Then you'll know that I am the I am. Then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own, but just as the Father taught me, I say these things. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, because I always do what pleases him. Now we've been reading, we have been reading this uh, responsive reading about God the Son that explains this so well, this entire series. And we're going to do it one more time right here, right now. So Gabe, if you'll switch over to that, we're going to do this together, where it explains what Jesus just said. All these words are, are, are big fancy way of saying Jesus is the I am. So I'll read the white, you read the yellow together, we'll all read the yellow together. Christ is the eternal Son of God. In his incarnation as Jesus Christ, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus perfectly revealed and did the will of God, taking upon himself human nature with its demands and necessities and identifying himself completely with mankind yet without sin. He honored the divine law by his personal obedience and in his substitutionary death, keep that in mind, on the cross, he made provision for the redemption of men from sin. He was raised from the dead with a glorified body and appeared to his disciples as the person who was with them before his crucifixion. Excuse me. He ascended into heaven and is now exalted at the right hand of God where he is the one mediator, fully God, fully man, in whose person is effected the reconciliation, the bringing back together, the making of peace, the reconciliation between God and man. He will return in power and glory to judge the world and to consummate his redemptive mission. He now dwells in all believers as the living and ever-present Lord. As a Southern Baptist church, which is what we are, I know we don't say that that often, but we are. We just assume that you know that. That's who we believe Jesus is. That's what our statement of faith says. To be a, to be a Baptist means that you believe that about Jesus. Why have I, well, why did I start as a Baptist? Because that's where my mom and dad took me to church. Why have I stayed a Baptist? Because that's what we believe about Jesus, and I believe that's what Scripture says about Jesus. That's what Scripture says who Jesus is. So that'll be our last time to read that for, I don't know, we'll, we'll see when it comes back. Well, we've read that every week, and I really hope it's implanted in us just a little bit. So, Jesus, going back to our statement here, Gabe, if you can help me find that right about... There? Yep, there we go. In this statement here, he says, when you lift me up. Talking about being crucified. They don't get that yet. They don't understand that yet. That's what he's saying. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. It hasn't happened yet. But when this happens, you'll know. You know, you'll know that I am. That I am He. That I am the I am. Because I am. I know the future. Because I am the I am, I know the future, is what Jesus is saying. When this happens, this is the future I am. This is the future I am. I, I don't know about you, but I can't predict the future. 
Can anybody here predict the future? I can't tell you what's going to happen in the next five minutes. I have an idea, but I don't know. But Jesus is predicting the future. Now, a little further down in chapter 8, still in chapter 8, picking up at the end of verse 52. If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death ever. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? They're responding to him. The critics, the leaders, the religious well-to-dos. Even the prophets died, they're saying. (laughs) Who do you think you are? The prophets died. Abraham died. The father of our faith, the father of our nation, he died. Now you're saying people who follow you won't die? What are you talking about? Who do you pretend to be? Verse 54, if I glorify myself, Jesus answered, my glory is nothing. My father, you say about him, he is our God. He is the one who glorifies me. Quick sidebar. A lot of people like to throw around this. Well, those religions, they're really believing in the same God. I mean, it's all one God, right? I mean, you know, we've got the, the three major religions of the world. You've got Christianity, Judaism, and, uh, and Islam. It's the same God. Well, Jesus doesn't say that. Verse 54 says, if I glorify myself, Jesus answered, my glory is nothing. My Father, you say about him he is our God. You say that God is your God. But the God that you're talking about sent me, Jesus is saying. And you don't believe that. So we're not talking about the same person. You've never known him, but I know him. If I were to say I don't know him, I would be a liar like you. (laughs) Jesus is funny to me. (laughs) That's awesome. If I were to say something that wasn't true, I'd be a liar like you. Liar, liar, pants on fire. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Continuing. Your father Abraham was overjoyed that he would see my day. He saw it and rejoiced. Because Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. The Jews replied, you ain't even 50, bro. You're not even 50 years old. Abraham lived about 1,800 years ago. What? They don't get it. You're not even 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? He died a long time ago. What what are you talking about? 58, Jesus said to them, I assure you, before Abraham was, I am. We have Jesus as the I am in the present, that he will be the I am in the future, and here now he is the I am in the past. This is the past I am. Present, future, and past. The great I am. The I am who I am. The personal name of the covenant God of the universe with Israel, Jesus is saying. Jesus is the true vine that Israel couldn't be. And he has now declared unequivocal equality with the God of the universe. The personal God whose name is I am. Is what Jesus has just done as plainly as he possibly can. Now, these people, these Jews, 
have been waiting for this moment for almost two millennia. Almost 2,000 years. And God has sent this one that they say they have been waiting for all this time to come. And he finally says, I'm he. I, I am. I'm here. And what do they say? Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you, God. Finally, finally our deliverer is here. Finally, our Savior is here. Man, this is going to be good. That's what they say, right? Come on, Bible scholars. That's not what they say. I thought that's what, surely that would be their reaction. No. Verse 59. At that, at him saying he is the I am, they picked up stones to throw at him. They decided they were going to throw rocks at him until he died. That was their plan. That was their reaction to his statement. John's making it real clear that they understand what he's saying about himself. The world says Jesus never even said he was God. Well, ask a Jew that was living then if Jesus said he was God because Jesus just said he was God in that statement. And they pick up stones to throw it at him. But Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple complex because it wasn't time yet. How dare you, they're thinking. How dare you say you are God? How dare you equal yourself to be I am? I am is God. He is one. How can you say you are him also? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. That's what they've repeated for thousands of years. How can you say you're equal with him? If he is one, how, how can you be part of him also? Well, Jesus has already said in this exact same conversation, I and the Father are one. Unity in the Trinity, also a Baptist doctrine. It's all over Scripture. You, they're saying, you can't be the I am. You can't be. But that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He is saying that he and Yahweh are one. That he is Yahweh and Yahweh is he. Now, you see it all different types of ways. We normally say Yahweh nowadays in the English-speaking world. Jews won't pronounce that word because it's too special. It's too holy. So it was written through the years as that four-letter, it's called a tetragrammaton. Huh. Y'all like that? Y'all learned something today. Tetragrammaton just means a four-letter word that doesn't have consonants. So we don't actually even know how to pronounce it for sure. So another way that it could be pronounced is Yehovah. It could be a three-syllable word and not a two-syllable word, which in the Latin looks like that, which used to be a yaw sound. The J used to be a, a Y sound, and we've, we've anglicized it over time, and we say it with J. So Jehovah is Yahweh. Yahweh is Yahweh. That four letters is Yahweh. Most of the time in your English Bible, if it doesn't say Yahweh, they'll translate it as L-O-R-D in the all caps. When you see L-O-R-D in your English with all caps, that's most likely was Yahweh in the original language. I am. You, you can't be that guy. Just say, I'm the guy. I am that guy. He's the personal name of the eternal God. Yahweh. Amazing. Jesus has described here who the I am is. In John, he's described who the I am is, what his character is like. The seven statements is describing what he is like, what he is capable of, what he has done, what he will do, what he, what he can do for you if you believe, if you have faith in him. He's agreed. He's agreed so far in John that he is the I am. 
He's described the I am. He's agreed that he's the I am. He said he is telling them these things so that they will know that he is the I am. But in the verses today, it's a little different. He's not describing who the I am. He's not agreeing that he is the I am or anything else. In our verses today, he's just hours from his sacrificial death. He's hours from the cross. He's hours from the beating. He's hours from God's wrath. It's different. And John makes sure that we understand that something different is here. Even if we're not paying attention, you can't hardly miss it. So back to 18. So Judas took a company of soldiers and some temple police from the chief priests and the Pharisees and came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. That word in the Greek there that we say company of soldiers, or yours may have a different word, a group of soldiers, is spirion, is a cohort. Could be up to 600 men is what a cohort of soldiers was in the Roman world. But it's at least a couple hundred most likely. I don't know what you picture in the, in the scene of the Garden of the Gethsemane when they come to arrest Jesus, but for most of my life, I pictured a few dudes, just a, like a handful, maybe a dozen. No, they send a partial army to get him to the Garden of Gethsemane with lanterns, torches, and weapons, because it's in the middle of the night, with weapons. Oh, interesting. Then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, went out and said to them, who is it you're looking for? He's fully man. He's fully God. Jesus, the incarnate God. God in a bod. God the Son knows full well what's going to happen when he steps up and says who he is in this moment. Who is it you're looking for? He steps out in front and says, who is it you're looking for? And they say, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus the Nazarene. Where is he? Which one of you is him? Now, the other Gospels tell us that Judas goes up to him and gives him a kiss. Such a disrespectful thing to do. A friend's greeting, and that's how he identifies who he is. But John leaves that detail out because it doesn't matter to what John is describing. Jesus the Nazarene. We're looking for Jesus the Nazarene, that nothing, nobody from nowhere. That's what they're saying. That's why they put that part on the end. Because to be from Nazareth, Nazareth was to be a nobody from nowhere. Nobody cared about anybody from Nazareth. Where is that nothing nobody from nowhere? Which one of you is him? And Jesus says in the original language of the New Testament, ego iemi. I am he. We put the he on in English because it makes it make sense. But it's really just I am. I am. I am he. Ego iemi. Yahweh. Right here. Now, that's how I would have said it. That's probably not how he said it. I'd have been like, that's how I would have said it, but I'm not Jesus, and thank the Lord for that. Now, again, old John, I love John. When he told them I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. John wants to make sure that we don't miss why what happens here happens. He told them, I am he. When he told them, I am he, he's already said it, but now John goes, now when he said that, and because he said that, that's what John's trying to get us to understand, because he said this, they stepped back and fell to the ground. I don't know what you picture in this moment, but we're probably not picturing it with enough grandeur. Probably not. We probably have that a little too small of a box of what happens here, like we normally do when it comes to God and who he is and what he's capable of. He's 
we kind of shrink him down to what we can handle and what we like and what we're okay with. It's hundreds of men, hundreds of men with weapons against him and 11 nobodies. Now, Peter has a sword, but Peter's a fisherman. He's so good with that sword that here in a second he takes it out to swing it and kill this dude and chops off his ear. He ain't very good at it. They ain't soldiers. They're not warriors. It's, it's 12 people, including Jesus, Jesus, and hundreds of people, hundreds of men show up to arrest him. And they're knocked to the ground by words. The word of God spoke the name of God with the power of God and at the moment revealing for all to see that he is the son of God and speaking those two words, ego iemi, I am, when he speaks those words as the word of God with the power of God revealing for the first time and describing and identifying himself for sure, saying his name, it knocks hundreds of men to the ground with two words. Now, if he wanted to, it could have vaporized him with two words. Again, what I would have done. Not what he did. Knocks hundreds of men to the ground in an instant with two words. Jesus shows that he could just speak words and stop what's about to happen. He could have stopped it. He knocks them to the ground with two words. He asks them again. I picture that. You know, they're on the. Now, who is it, who is it you're looking for? I wonder if some of them were like, Jesus the Nazarene. He asks them again, they answer again, and he allows them to arrest him. Jesus isn't weak. Jesus isn't lame. Jesus is obedient to the Father, like he calls us to be. He could have stopped it. He allows them to arrest him. They've said twice that they have come for him, and now he says, I'm him. Catch this, but let them go. I'm him, but let them go. And in verse 9, John gives us the sweet, sweet doctrine of substitutionary atonement in one verse, 18.9. This was to fulfill the words he said, I have not lost one of those you have given me. Jesus told them that he would never lose them. And this is ultimately true in the resurrection. We know that. But here Jesus gives them the raw human side of it. I mean, picture it again. you got 11 dudes and Jesus, hundreds of soldiers and well-to-dos and the big shots, and they're all there, and they've got weapons, and Jesus steps forward, places the 11 behind him, and says, I'm the one you're looking for. Let them go. Man, that's a good God. He steps forward to the point of the swords, and the weapons it says, let these men go. Just as he did on the cross for all mankind. He made a way to safety for his men that night. He's made a way to our eternal home with the Father by what he did on the cross for all of us. Substitutionary atonement. Judgment and penalty and wrath fell on him instead of you and instead of me. It's a sweet, 
truthful, scriptural doctrine, substitutionary atonement. That's who Jesus is. Now, often, and I'm almost done, stay with me, often this is where we, the person standing here, say something like, hey, Jesus gave it all for you, you should give it all for him. Almost trying to manipulate you into serving more and giving more and being more holy, just doing more for the church and doing more for God. And it is true. Jesus did give it all. And all to him I do owe. But that, that's not really the foundational aspect of what it is to follow him and to, and to know him and to love him. It's not really, it's not really that. Jesus did what he did for you and me, for his men that day, and for all mankind on the cross, because he loves you. End of sentence. Jesus did that because he loves you. God loves you. End of sentence. He wants you to live a holy life for him because you love him back. Catch this. Not because you feel guilty. Not because you feel guilty for your lack of effort, your lack of response to his full effort for you. We don't operate out of guilt. We don't operate out of shame. The person that stands here, if they manipulate you with that, that's not good news. The good news is Jesus paid it all. That's the good news. And he loves you. And when you operate your life from that standpoint, his commandments are not burdensome because you're not doing it to get his approval. You're just doing it because you love him. You love him back. See, I preached myself a little sermon this week in my bedroom because I don't know if you know it, but sometimes this position, it's not the funnest position in the world. It's not the funnest position in the world. It's really not sometimes. And boy, I'm telling you, if y'all have been there, if y'all have been the mirror instead of the mirror, I'd lift y'all up. I lift that mirror up. I let that mirror have it. Matter of fact, when I told my dogs to get in the kennel, they thought I'd been screaming at them, and they sprinted to the kennel faster than they ever have before. And I felt good about it, too. I felt pretty good. I thought, yeah, that's what I'm going to say on Sunday. That's what I'm going to say on Sunday. And for the next three or four days, God convicted me so heavy and so hard about doing exactly what I just said we shouldn't do. But the, the thing is that it, it comes from a place of love and care and concern. It, you know, Jesus is the holy, separate, eternal being, the, the, the God of the universe. And it just feels like we're giving back crumbs of our life so often. And, and sometimes it makes me mad at myself and at you. Sometimes it makes me sad. Sometimes I wonder if we even mean what we say by how we live our lives. I mean, I don't understand why we do what we do sometimes and how, and how we can say that Jesus is God, the holy, eternal I am, and then go out and do what we do. 
But God, in those few days, pressed upon my heart that he doesn't call me to get up here and be a jerk. This is what he said. Not audibly to my spirit, through the spirit. Just tell them that I love them. That's it. <laughs> Just keep reminding them, and yourself for that matter, as I'm looking in the mirror, that he loves you. That's it. End of sentence. God loves you. Praise God. Father, I come to you and I thank you that you love us and that you've given us all that we need, God. You've given us the ability to have faith. You've given us the opportunity to have faith. God, you've asked that we believe that you are God. And that through that belief, God, that you have paved the way and, and taken the penalty and, and taken it all upon yourself to make us right with you, to reconcile us to you, to make us at peace with you, all because of who you are, because you love us, because you are the very essence of love. And I pray that we would just rest, rest in that peace, that we are loved beyond measure by the God, eternal God of the universe. And that eternal God came to this world as the incarnate son to show us what that love looked like. And I pray that you would, that you, your word would motivate us to live that love to the world. A world that needs that love more now than it ever, ever, probably ever has. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's get a stand and join us in this time of invitation.